Turn with me, if you will, to imagine that, Revelation 21. It's really kind of interesting how the last, since we've been back from Pennsylvania, how the last four weeks have went. Uh, four weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching out of Acts, the very beginning of the church, where the church started at Pentecost there, Acts chapter 2. The next Sunday, you heard Todd preach on Mark 4, the parable of the sowers, and how the seed falls in different areas, and... Uh, and things like and those things. Last week, out of 1 Corinthians, Sean was talking about running the race, if you remember kind of the Olympic theme, and how in the Christian life, how we're supposed to keep running, running the race and, and staying the course, those type of things. Today, we're going to talk from Revelation 21 on the, if you will, on the doorstep, on the very edge of eternity, from what John, John saw on the island of Patmos. The very, these verses are just about to end all of humanity, all of time as we know it, and the next thing is eternity at the, end of, at the end of all things. Stand with me, if you will, Revelation 21. I'm going to reading, be reading verses 22 to 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much for this description, this hope you give us of the new Jerusalem, of heaven, the new city that is attainable only through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and only through what he has done. And I pray that you would bring conviction on all of us and our lives, and what are we doing on earth to promote that, to proclaim that, that Jesus is the way that our lives are poured out as a drink offering, that would be, we would be working for your kingdom and not our kingdom, and for your glory and not our glory, dear God. Thank you so much for your promises. Thank you. We look all around us at this world and, and the effect of sin and what's going on in this world, and we see this vision that you showed John, and we know the hope that you have for those who love you, for those who are saved by your blood. I pray that that would just... Never let us rest, that we would always be striving to do more for your kingdom and more to promote Jesus Christ and to proclaim his name as the only way to salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's very interesting. If you look at uh, 22, the first words John writes there, and I saw no temple. There are several other verses in Revelation where... A temple is, is mentioned, four of them to be exact, Revelation 3.12, Revelation 7.15, Revelation 15.5, and I'm going to read the fourth one, Revelation 11.19. Think of these words as what we just, uh, think of these words and remember what we just sang in, in the uh, Revelation song, Revelation 11.19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. 
So we see four places there was mentioned a temple in heaven. But we read in verse 22, John writes that there will be no temple in eternity. There will be no temple. Why? Why is there going to be no temple? Notice the caps. Notice the capitalizations in your Bible here. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Lord God Almighty, all capitalized, and the Lamb. The first two people of the Trinity we have mentioned there. If you think about it, it's so hard for us in our sinful state to imagine this, but perfect, at that point, perfect and direct communion with God. It is going to more than take the place of any temple or institution that we can build on earth. Amen? There's not going to be the need for any more temple or any more building. Anything made by man, if you will, in eternity. And things going on there. The temple is not, it's not going to be a building, but God himself, his presence throughout all of eternity and all of heaven. Now, keep this in mind as we go through this. The city's holiness, we're going to get to this, to something about the city's holiness a little bit later, but God the Father, the Almighty, and the Lamb will constitute the city's holiness. There will be perfect holiness in the city there. No need for a temple because it will be all enveloped in the holiness. I'm going to read a few verses also by John, the Apostle John, but back in John 4. When he was talking very, a very, very common story, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. John four twenty one to 23. I'm just going to read these few verses. He has this, as Jesus has this dialogue with the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Notice Jesus says the hour is coming, talking to the future, this new Jerusalem, and is now here. He's talk- he was talking about that present situation right there with the woman at the well. She was, unknowingly to her at that moment, having communion with Jesus Christ. In his perfection. She wouldn't have realized it right then. Later on we read, of course, that she does. But the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Read somewhere in a, uh, in a book, one of his books, uh, an author named Randy Alcorn. And he writes that, listen, listen closely to this. Earth for believers gives us, we know we are saved through Jesus Christ, gives us a taste of hell. Think about everything going on in earth. And earth for the non-believer gives them a taste of heaven. Understand? We're going with that. Gives us as believers, we see everything going on here. And we also see what is going to happen throughout eternity. Gives us a taste of hell. Think about that. The sin, the way sin affects each and every one of our lives and how we go through with that. Keep your... If you bookmark or page or however you want to do it, we're going to be in Isaiah for just a couple uh, verses here at the end. Isaiah 66. We're going to spend just a little bit of time in Isaiah as we go through these next, these next couple verses in Revelation. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this also when you think of in terms of a temple and what, is, what the temple is going to be like in those days. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne And the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place for my rest? 
All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God is looking to dwell in the hearts of people who take his word seriously. I've heard, I don't know how many times over the past couple months I've heard this from a lot of it, from the youth, from adults, all ages, saying, I just, I get so tired of coming to church and seeing, this is a pretty harsh statement here, I've heard it numerous times, and seeing people in church going through the motions when I know what's went on Friday night and Saturday night and throughout the week. Think about that. Church is made into a complete mockery. We come here, go through the motions, think our sin is okay, and don't live with it. God says right there in the last part of Isaiah 66, verse 2, and trembles at my word. And trembles at my word. If you remember the words in Malachi, where God says, I wish you would just shut the doors to the temple and not even come in here if this is what you're going to do. Go out and live your life. I know, you know, God, and the thing that's so interesting, it's dumbfounding, if you will, We go through the motions during the week and live a life like that and come in here and think we're fooling people. When God Almighty sits on His throne, sees everything we're doing, and knows it. And that's the key. You notice the title of today's sermon, Bring the Glory. Bring your A-game. Bring the glory. Whose glory are you working for? Whose glory are we striving after? Notice in verse... I've got got my Bible kind of to where I can go back and forth. Revelation 23... And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the, la- the Lamb. The glory of God will give it its light. Sun and moon will be no more. They will be obsolete, worn out. The glory of God will illuminate all of heaven and define it as His temple. Isaiah 60 I'm going to read in Isaiah 60, verses 19 and 20. Kind of you'll see how this directly ties in with what we've just read in Revelation. As Isaiah was prophesying here, the words that God had given him. Isaiah 60, 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your, those words there, your, glo- your God will be your glory. How many of us live that out today, right now? Our God is our glory. Our God is everything to us. How is that related in our life and the way we live? We heard a lot last week, Sean shared a lot about the Olympics and the things going on. We talked about in the youth about a lot of the athletes that were praising God and giving glory. One you never heard, at least I never heard it on, on NBC or when he was watching, was a bow hunter, I can't remember his name, a bow hunter from Arizona, won the gold medal in, I think, a couple archery events. And they were interviewing him, and listen to what he said. He said, this was very neat. He said, but this is not my identity at all. My identity is in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is my whole identity. That's, that's what it is. It's not in shooting this bow and winning these gold medals. This is my identity. How much of our identity and our glory is wrapped up in Jesus Christ? Because through Him and in Him is the only possible way that we even have to see this holy Jerusalem, this new heaven one day. And we get wrapped up in all of this 
and live our life making a mockery of what happened on that cross and what had to be paid to ransom us from our sin. We make such a, such a mockery of it. The question I have is, your glory, what is your everlasting light right now, today, in 2012? What is your glory? The thing that we work for or the thing that we strive for defines us. What is going to define you for all of eternity? One more verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. Just a couple, a couple pages back there. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Look at the last words. My glory I will not give to another. If you think about that, if you are working for your glory, it is pointless. It is worthless. It says it right there in Isaiah. He will not give the glory to another. He will have all the glory in the end. The glory will all be His. It is all due Him. And it is our privilege to be able to come into that glory and to point everything in our life that happens for His glory, whether good or bad. Sometimes God uses horrible things to show His glory in the way a Christian, in the way we handle it. Keep that in mind as you go through life. He's not going to share His glory. Whose glory are you working on? So you see in verse, jumping back up into Revelation, in verse 23, the lamp or the, the entire lamp, the light of the city, is going to be the Lamb. And that Lamb, Jesus Christ, made this all possible by His blood. Because every one of us, wrapped up in our sin, there was no way we could achieve that perfection and get there. Verse 24, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Nations literally means or literally translate into, into the peoples. In heaven, for all eternity, there will be redeemed people from every, and I'm taking a quote from Revelation 5, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Every nation, there will be people worshiping around the throne in heaven one day. Even those countries we look at now, we look at countries like North Korea and China, Saudi Arabia, Iran, where the church is persecuted like we can't even fathom. And what is going on there? Because church, a persecuted church is a growing church, a church where the Holy Spirit can move and can grow. The Holy Spirit works in America, of course, too, all the time. But sometimes we let our comfortability, if you will, our materialism get in the way of the Holy Spirit's work, don't we? We kind of let we kind of become complacent and don't rely on him as much as we should. Once again, solely because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We see crosses all over the place. You see people wearing crosses in jewelry, you see music rock stars having tattooed on them. You see crosses everywhere. For the Christian, that cross is everything to us. That is our bridge into heaven, if you will. That is where Christ's blood was shed to pay the price that we could never pay. And we just, we, how, can we, how can it not change our life? 
How can we go on? I've asked this, I think I ask this every time I'm up here preaching. How can we go on the same? How can I just doing the same thing week after week and not let it change us from the inside? How? How is it possible after what he did to pay for our sin? Keep this in mind when we're talking about the nations here also. In this eternal city, there will be no more divisions or barriers or anything. Exclusivity, if you will. Because of race, language, politics, anything like that. We think of America a lot of times as we call America the melting pot where people have immigrated into over the years and there's all different languages, colors, tribes, races, peoples, all different kinds of... In eternity, it's going to be a true melting pot around the throne. Everyone's going to dissolve, if you will, into the one people of God where we have a core mission to worship God for all of eternity. Think about that. All of us corporately worshiping around the throne for all of eternity because of Christ's work. Worshiping, sharing. And the thing that should prompt you, should prompt all of us, is there is, I know this, every one of you, I'm sure every one of you, works or has contact daily with an unbeliever. Daily. Someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Someone that doesn't know the love of God. Doesn't know their sin. Hasn't been confronted with their sin in a Christ-like manner. Where their sin is what is keeping them away from heaven. We like to look at ourselves with pride. We like to think how good we are and how, well, I'm a good person. We're all wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and our sin has separated us. Isaiah 66, 2, what we just read. But this is the one I will look on, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit. That is who we will look on. And anyone, you think about how ugly, if you will, a prideful, boastful person is to be around. Are you that person? Are you that person at school or at work? Or are you humble, meek, a servant leader, willing to help, showing the love of Jesus Christ in everything, in every way, all that you do? Verse 25, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. In the Old Testament, this is something completely, it's hard for us to imagine nowadays because of the way our cities and the way we live. But in the Old Testament, cities had walls around them, and they had gates on them. Those gates would be shut at nighttime. During the day, the gates would be open. People would go in and out, do their business, and things like that. At nighttime, the gates would be shut. And if you were coming in, there would be a gatekeeper there watching things. And if you came and you were legit, if you were, you you would be let in. You think about a story that kind of relates this to you. You think about Jericho in the book of Joshua, how the walled city, they had the gates shut, obviously, during the day because the Israelites were marching around and how God used that. But... In this new city, in verse 25, its gates will never be shut by day, so they will never be shut. It's never going to be under attack. Keep in mind, again, who is the temple, who's controlling things, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and there's never going to be any night there. So there's never going to be a reason for the gates to be shut. Now, another very good question that I had, and maybe someone is thinking this right now, why... Does the city even need to have gates? What is the point of it having gates? Think about that. If there's never going to be any night there, we know it's never going to be under attack because it's the perfect holiness of God. Why does there even need to be gates there? Good question. I don't have the answer for that. But we do know that it has gates. Look up, if you will, just up the chapter a little bit, Revelation 21. Look at verses 12 and 13. 
It had a great high wall with 12 gates. Had to, not only had one gate, it had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. So it had 12 gates. The city had 12 gates. Now, interestingly, if you read down, the wall of the city was 144 cubits. Okay, A cubit is 18 inches or a foot and a half. So this wall, if you do the math, was 216 feet high. Pretty big wall. 216 feet high. We have no specifics on the gates. We don't, we don't hear anything else mentioned about the measurements of the gates. But we would assume, I'm going to assume here, they would probably be the same height as the wall, approximately. Okay? Now, so think about that. 216 feet high. It's almost three-quarters of a football field. High. And we know there's 12 of them. Now look at verse 21. Skip down to Revelation 21, 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls... Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And we want to hold on to our glory here when this is what we have to look forward to. Anybody ever... Who has actually seen a pearl or pearls? Raise your hand, just real quick. Seen pearls. Pearls are not very big, you know? I mean, you get... I don't know much about pearls. I don't have any pearls, but I'm guessing... If you got one the size of your thumb, that'd be a huge one, wouldn't it? Okay, somebody's not. Thank you. Twelve gates... The wall of the city is 216 feet high. Each gate is made from a single pearl. And we want to hold on to our glory here. Wow. Think about that. A single pearl in one gate. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, I want to take, I want to show you something really that, that really amazed me too. I want to, I want to go down and this doesn't, this ties right along in with the gates, but read the rest of Revelation 21, 21 with me. We talked about the gates here, but I want to, the last half of that verse. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Does this not get you guys excited? I, this gets me so excited. For Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for us. And we hold on to our glory here. Like stubborn little children. The other day, Danica, or, uh, yesterday, Hannah and Katie just got glasses. They needed glasses. Danica grabbed Katie's glasses, death grip. Would not let them go. I mean, we had to spank and do all sorts of things. A lot of discipline. She would not let them things go. It got very ugly. That's what we do. We hold on to this world so tight. And it's worthless. We hold on to the physical here, and it's worthless. Look at that verse again. The street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Got some facts for you. On Friday, on the Commodities Exchange, pure 24-karat gold closed at $1,650.70 an ounce. Pure 24-karat gold. Let me repeat that. One ounce, $1,650.70. Gold, within the past year, it has been up near 2000 we're going to take right now, of course, it's, it's tomorrow morning, other places in the world, so the markets have opened there. But right now, in America, gold, an ounce of gold, if you have one ounce of gold, it's worth $1,650.70. One pound of gold, if you do the math, one pound, a pound is not much, $26,411.20. Did you guys catch that? $26,411.20. I did the math here. If you are worth your weight in gold, I used 180 pounds. Anybody have any idea what 180 pounds is worth? 
Pure 24-karat gold, our gold. Think about these words. These are written by a man just like us. Granted, he was an apostle, walked with Christ. Pure gold, This our 24-karat gold is probably going to look like the dross crud left over compared to this. You catch those words? Pure gold, transparent as glass. This is what the street is made of in the city. And we are going to hold on to our things and our finances and our possessions like a little brat and never let them go and never do anything for the kingdom. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind this week. This is what you have waiting for you in eternity. And God, the only way an unbeliever in this world is going to see that is by you and me, us, living our life as a drink offering for Jesus Christ and listening to the Holy Spirit when He speaks. Don't hold on to things too tight because we know other places in Revelation what's going to happen to those at the end. And aside from that, this is what is waiting for you in eternity. Streets made of gold. Transparent as glass. Gates, 216 foot high. We don't know how wide. Made of a single pearl. It's, it's our little, my little puny mind can't even comprehend it. And how can we get so wrapped up in this world and the temper, temporariness, if you will, of now when this is what we have waiting for us? Verse 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. There's really two meanings or two representations, if you will, from this verse. The nations, every nation, will bring their honor and glory into the city. They will bring it and present it to God. The nations will bring their glory into it. Another representation, the honor and the glory all, once again, belongs to Christ because of His death on the cross. What He did, the redeemed, we are the bride, if you will, the bride of Christ. That is what the church represents. It is by Him that we, it is even possible for anyone to enter because, once again, of His death on the, cross, on the cross. Look at the phrase at the very end of that verse real quick again. Of the nations. Once again, a reminder. There will be people from every nation under heaven. As I was reading over this and, and studying over it, I had to think about for any of those here that have been on a uh, Casas per Cristo trip in the past or been somewhere else. I know we've had several people been to Belize before and built things for those people. It's, it's so neat to imagine or to think about one day worshiping with those believers around the throne and thinking about that modest, modest, modest. I shared with the youth uh, the first time we came back from Mexico, and we built a bigger of the two houses. I told the youth, you know, we have, we have a nice house. We've been blessed. I said, that house we built in Mexico would fit into our garage. We don't even have a two-car garage. It's like a one-and-a-half car. It would fit in our garage. Think about that. One day, worshiping with those people in the mansion that has been prepared for them and us in the city through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 27. But nothing unclean 
will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. I want to stop right there. Kind of going back to what I touched on earlier about I shared with people sharing, you know, it's hard for me to come to church and see people you know, at church and knowing what's went on Saturday night, Friday night, throughout the week. Look at that verse very closely. Anyone who does what is detestable or false. The thing, the key is, as I shared before, you're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. Most of all, Almighty God. And another thing that I want to bring up, because I don't want, you know, Sean has shared, Todd, the elders, we've talked about this. We are responsible for this church, this body of believers. I don't want anyone standing before God and say, I never heard. I never heard the truth. I never heard. I didn't know. I had no way of knowing. If your sin doesn't really bother you, I'm not judge, jury, and executioner, there's a good possibility you might not be saved. I know that's a harsh statement, but think about that. If your sin doesn't really, eh, it's not that big a deal. Think about that. And I know, I know, I've got, I can see your faces. That's a, that's a rough, that is a very rough statement. If your sin doesn't bother you and doesn't convict you, you might be saved, you might not. I don't know. It's not for me to decide, it's for God. That's, our job is to point out these things as leaders, as shepherds of the flock. So think about that. And I'm not saying that to try to browbeat or convict anybody. I'm just speaking it as the truth. Your sin... If you're a Christian, your sin should bother you immensely. It should convict you horribly. Because you go back. The, only, the, only, the closest thing I can think is a Hollywood movie. I hate to even use it, but the Passion of the Christ and the gra- what And that was probably mild. That was probably just a, you know, what happened to pay for that sin. You think about this. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone... Who does what is detestable or false? As on earth, here right now, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you are free from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death. Our sin, our wickedness, separates us from a holy God who desires true righteousness. If you are a Christian, you have been freed from the penalty of sin. It's what we call justification. You will never be more justified than you were at the point when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So, as a Christian, now here on earth, free from the penalty of sin, okay? A price had to be paid for that, which was Christ's blood. Here's something else that we can be free of, or should strive to be free of, is the power of sin. Think of the effects of sin on your life. Think of the effects, first of all, this is, this is the thing I was thinking about of how to, how to present this. I can stay, trust me, I can stay busy enough worrying about Chris and his sin than I can with anybody else. We don't even need to talk about anybody else. I've, I've got a lifetime's worth to work on here. But think for a minute, if you lived your life completely by the Holy Spirit, think of the effect of sin in our humanity on your life. Think about that. About the stealing, about the lying, about the cheating. All those things. Think about how sin has affected your life. Now, as we go on living a life more and more like Jesus Christ, that power of sin over us should be becoming less and less 
and less and less as we move on. There will definitely be times of falling back into things and backsliding, but it should be less and less and less. A life that is lived more and more by the Holy Spirit, following the Spirit and what He says. Not a life of sin. Not a life where your sin really doesn't convict you or bother you at all. This is what we call sanctification. Growing your life should every day look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So we have the penalty of sin and the power of sin. These are two things that we can, the power of sin, we're, we're going to be in our sinful state, but you can, sin can have less and less and less of an effect on you if you live your life more by the, by the Spirit going through life. So the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Now, let me show you something. In Joel 3.17, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read this real quick. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. Joel is prophesying about this new Jerusalem. There will never be any strangers in it anymore. We will all be known by God, by Jesus Christ. And those whom we have shared the gospel, whom the Holy Spirit has convicted, who have come to Christ in that. So we talked about the penalty of sin, the power of sin. Let me read the last part of this, of this verse, verse 27. But only those who are written... In the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is a divine journal, if you will, of the names of all those saved written in heaven. The Lamb's Book of Life. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No one who is detestable. No one who is false. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, we've talked about the penalty of sin and the power of sin. You look at what verse 27 describes... One day in eternity, we are going to be free from the very presence of sin. An eternity with God, where the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb rule the temple and are its light. They are the temple. They are its light. Can you imagine that? Think about that. The presence, the very presence of sin is going to be gone forever. Now the question I want to leave you with today is, what are you doing about that? What is your life doing about that? Are you striving in yourself at first to live a life more guided by the Holy Spirit and more sold out for Jesus Christ? And are you speaking the gospel into others' lives? Not just showing them, but speaking Jesus Christ into other people's lives. I encourage you with that. This week or any time in the future when you get a little caught up with your things and your stuff and your possessions and kind of wanting to, like Danica was yesterday, just hold on to something so tight. Get into Revelation 21 and look what God has prepared for you. And remember, our resources, our time, our money, our possessions, everything is supposed to be used for the glory of God, not for our own glory. Remember that. I want to leave you with the next five verses in the Bible after Revelation 21. I'm going to read verse, chapter 22, the first five verses in closing. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. 
they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he did for us, for saving us by his blood, for ransoming ransoming us from the penalty of death Dear Lord, I just pray that you would convict every one of us to live our life in a manner that glorifies you, that brings you the glory, that honors you, that we are not trying to seek after and strive for our own glory and our possessions and the things that we have, dear Lord. I just pray that you would convict us. We get in, in America, we get so focused on ourselves and our little families and our enclaves. And those Help us to think more globally and worldly and more of others whether here in Davies County somewhere else in America throughout the world that we would think of others more than ourselves that our life the life of the church your church would be clean and blameless before you dear God thank you so much for your blessings and your truth thank you for your word and I pray that you'd help us to take your word seriously and live by it in everything we do dear God in Jesus name we pray Amen.